1,000 better stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Hey, it's Kashka, one of Scan's story weavers and your host for today. Apologies in advance for my COVID voice. Um, unfortunately, the lurgies got me recently and I still haven't recovered. Collaborating with creative practitioners is not exactly the first thing that would pop up in your head when you're running a practical community project, especially one focused on climate action and climate justice. Well, we hope you will change your mind when you hear the stories we share over the next couple of episodes. We will explore practical examples of such work, including some tips on keeping your collaborations healthy and productive. Today, we start with the story of Cultivate, an ambitious project working at the intersection of climate justice and creativity in Tayside. First, you will hear from the project producer at Creative Dundee, followed by a discussion between creative practitioners and community partners about the project involving Community First in Forfa. And in the next episode, we uh, will continue with the story of We Wardrobe, another Cultivate collaboration involving Transition Dundee. We will finish that second episode with a recording from one of our SCAN workshops where Creative Carbon Scotland shared the work they have been facilitating in this area. So, plenty to inspire you, but before we get to the main story, we wanted to share another contribution from a recipient of one of our mini-grants. This time it's Moffat Youth Theatre from Dumfries and Galloway. And here's the brief teaser episode of their brand new podcast. Hi, welcome to Blank Generation, where we bring together young activists and talk about what matters to us. We'll share new points of view, ask what we want the future to look like and see how we can make that happen. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Emily. In this episode, we'll talk about what young activists are doing to get past the feelings of isolation and disconnection in rural Scotland. Before we get into this episode, we'd like to thank our sponsors, 2050 Climate Group, Moffat and District Community Council, and SCAN, the Scottish Community Climate Action Network. Let's get into it. So a few months ago, as a part of my membership of the Green Party, I received an email inviting me to attend an event at a botanical garden in Gatehouse of Fleet. And it sounded interesting. And I thought I would look into going. So I had a look. And as it turns out, it's a 40 minute drive to Gatehouse of Fleet, which seemed reasonable. But then when I looked up to go using public transport, I found that it would take me two and a half hours to get there by bus, which ruled out my going. And... I think that just really serves to show how political organisation and activism are impeded by the lack of provision of transport in this region. 
Mm-hmm. It's that feeling that we are unable to be an actual member of society because of the place that we live. It's we are rural and so we are entirely separated from any form of quote unquote real life. <laughs> uh, everything is based in bigger towns and bigger cities and it it's constantly supported in the way that we see our bus travel and just general public transport not functioning in the way that it's supposed to. Because although it's supposed to be, it is supposed to make things easier, and yet it adds on three or four hours to the journey just to use a bus. Everything is so disconnected in this region. Most things are actually geared towards moving into Glasgow or other more urbanised regions of the country, which really further compounds the issue because the focus is outward from the region rather than on making the region a better place to live. So what do you think needs to be done to make our region better in terms of transport and connection? Well, there's been so many cutbacks and it just seems that it would be so such a long way away from having it be even vaguely functional. I think it's more about creating opportunities and finding ways around that in order to create a sense of unity and cohesiveness which benefits activism in the region. Mm -hmm. So how does the lack of accessibility to transport affect you as an activist? It just feels so difficult to overcome. It... Mm -hmm. You feel annoyed when things don't get off the ground, but when you think about it and you realise that this is the reality, it's not that people in the region don't care, it's that everything is so stacked against anything happening. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, in part, it sort of feels like it is made for that. It is... Because our our towns and our general society is based on a car-dependent kind of lifestyle. It's based on the general feeling of what it means to be a successful person in the way that our jobs work and the things that we do, our hobbies and the people that we hang around with. All of that is shown in just the way that our transport systems actually work. And the, the lack of any connection to people is just made so much more obvious because you you can't get out, essentially. Your only option in terms of actually getting any full-on connections to other young people, other young activists, is to just leave or go somewhere that has more people. It's Even though our towns might be relatively big they might have like 4,000 people that is a lot of people that could potentially be interested but we aren't really given the opportunity or the resources to actually develop anything which stands outside of the current standard of living and the way that society has made successful people out to seem. There, there really is limited 
alternatives in terms of transport and connection because oftentimes in bigger cities like Glasgow people often set up things like car sharing but especially as a young person in a region like this that is both difficult just on the level that not everybody drives not everybody is old enough to drive not everybody can afford to drive especially in Mm -hmm. this current state of events there is also the way that it actually impacts the lives of especially young people i think to be in a place which is as small as this and without any complete accessibility to other people really it does feel very lonely and i think that's something that a lot of us people of our age face is that feeling that the only way that we can find anyone to really connect to is or anything any bigger thing to really dive into it is to leave and just search for it in another place it is we we aren't given the opportunity to find happiness in the place that we are which is actually the way that capitalism runs generally is to have you reaching for something which is further than your current position always wanting more I think in for the future to be a a more hopeful place to live really decentralization is the most mm. important factor and in order for decentralization to take place the first most significant step in that would be gearing the smaller communities of south scotland to interact more with each other and less with a bigger player in an entirely different region Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely about shifting our dependency away from travel in general um and away from other towns which are bigger than us and actually allowing people to have everything that they need within their local community um yeah, and to allow them especially access to even just basic needs like food and water and recreation, like parks and everything. Having good a good standard of living within your own town instead of forcing you to search for other places. Um, working towards decentralisation on an individual level, I think you just have to begin within your your own circles working out from there within to your own community um i think a lot of the time there's a tendency to shy away from discussing big topics based on some kind of idea that it'll cause arguments but i think when ideas and opinions develop without input from other actual human beings that's when polarisation in a way that is harmful occurs and I think discussing discussing relevant issues is an important way of establishing an activist spirit within your community mm-hmm. there's definitely the feeling that for me at least all the forms of that kind of activism 
feel quite formal, but actually the best way to go about making that change is to really just to ask people what they want and discuss that on a deeper level because that's all that anything really should be about is what people need, what people want from their lives, what they are missing in the current way that things are. And for Dumfries and Galloway, the structure of our region and the fact that we rely so heavily on the bigger towns and even on cities like Glasgow and other cities outside of us, that means that a lot of us, a lot of people in smaller towns just feel that, well, we don't have exactly what we need and what we want, but it's not, it wouldn't be so difficult to actually just say <laughs> and to try and get that discussion started and move things forward so that we aren't so heavily dependent on other people to decide things for us. There's been a lot of discourse recently, ironically online, about how how people become terminally online, how yeah. things become basically just points of discussion mm. in the digital sphere rather than actual real-world issues. They almost become discussed in the abstract. And I think the only real way to see change is to change that and bring discussion back into being between real people who are part of your community that you have an existing relationship and existing respect for. Mm -hmm. There's also the idea that that um, we essentially have to wait for someone else to make the decision but really at the end of it, it is it's our town every place that you live you have the power to change in some form and actually just being able to find ways to take actions um, and improve the state of your own town without having to go through any of the formalities that is really where the power lies for a lot of activists i think before we leave we want to hear your thoughts how do you want to improve your town what would help you feel more connected to other activists in the region? Send in your thoughts to our Instagram, at Studio Moffat. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, review and share this podcast. In next week's episode, we'll be discussing the future of schools and how they can become more creative and inclusive. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That's pretty amazing work for the first time and I'm really genuinely looking forward to hearing more of these. Um, they're just uh, working on a space to publish them and hopefully you'll be able to find them uh, shortly online. If you fancy contributing to the podcast or to the blog, um, grants of up to £250 continue to be available to support you. Uh, you can find the brief application form up on SCAN website under Storyteller Collective or just get in touch with us on stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk.
Well, let's get back to Cultivate and Claire Defoe, creative climate producer with Creative Dundee, who will introduce us to the ideas behind the Cultivate project. I started by asking her to tell us a bit more about Creative Dundee itself. So Creative Dundee is a small social enterprise and we amplify and connect creativity in the city. And that means that we see creativity as everywhere and for everyone. But we um, kind of focus especially on a connecting people and, and projects and opportunities together and both on the scale of the city and way beyond. Cultivate is a program that we started just under a year ago, funded through a relief fund from the Scottish Garden in the midst to um, support community grassroots projects to look at the recovery and how culture can play a role in it. With Cultivate, we are working across the Tay region. Basically, is bring back creativity to the core of those grassroots action that are happening on the hyper-local level uh, around climate justice. So really working with communities that have the least say and resources and capability to, to be in that space. But there's another aspect to the project just to link to all of those projects and collaboration with the communities together so that we can learn from those and encourage more of those um, actions and, and collaboration to happen. So Cultivate is actually um, one of 26 projects um, that got that national funding for recovery after the pandemic. Amongst this project, there's three that actually kind of focusing on those actions around climate change. So why are we focusing on climate justice? For me, climate justice is really about in which hands the agency is placed. This the, the kind of very generic way of, of talking about climate change in the sense that the people that are the most impacted by the climate crisis are the people that are doing the least towards it. And that is, it's obviously very unfair. But there's also this idea that they should have the core decisions of their own change and also having access to the knowledge and resources and and, and creative thinking that will help them adapt to whatever change that will come as well. A lot of the decisions or the call for actions around climate change are quite top-down, and that's the idea that, um, oh, we should, you know, you should drive an electric car or recycle. But it's, those, those call for actions are not always accessible and sustainable for the people. I'm just going to use a brilliant quote I've recently heard. It might be sustainable for the planet, but it's not sustainable for us. People don't feel they have the capacity to do it. And in many ways, they're already doing plenty of things. So it's, it's about, about reminding them what they're doing, but it's also giving them back the agency of finding their own solutions and, and, and doing it for themselves so that is not so top-down. And we believe that that creativity and through culture, that that's that's the best vehicle to do that. Creative practitioners have been have been trained to be curious. This is a weird way to see it, but they they have they have learned techniques and, and different approaches and they have 
um, experience of of having that that curiosity um, around them, and then they are problem solver creative people. That's what they do. They solve problems with ways of thinking and with tools that are not widely shared and known, I guess. So for us, having the creative petitioners working with the community is to, so that we can bring that influx of, of looking at things differently, but also enabling the communities to take ownership of those tools and the process so that they can make it relevant to their own challenges and own problems. And also then maybe seek to work with more creative petitioners and really becoming the commissioners in the way so that they would, if they have this understanding of what creativity can, can do um, to help what they're facing, then, then they can be the one making the call and say, oh, we'd love to work with an illustrator, we'd love to work with a designer, we'd love to work with a musician because we understand those, those things. And also what creative practitioners bring is, it's not so much what they bring, but what they help enable is that reconnection to culture and culture is what brings people together and it's what makes communities. So we've been working with uh, six community partners across the region for the last six months. And we've, we've basically coupled them up with creative petitioners to explore the potential of what they're already doing within the communities where they're embedded in um, and kind of like, yeah, challenge this work in a creative way, but also add on to it or, or, or change things. So those, are, those community partners are already doing an amazing work on a kind of local level in the space of environmental justice. For us, it's a bit of a portal to the community. So we really wanted to work with um, activists, I guess, um, with really embedded in the community they're working with. And so they, they would have the, the connections, the understanding of the opportunities and challenges that those communities have. When, when you do this, this kind of work, and especially when you engage with communities, you realize that six months is absolutely nothing. And it's also really hard to see the impact of what you're doing within that period, because you don't know it. You know, you might see the results in, in five, 10 years. But in terms of wow moment, I think for me, it's about how much is already happening and how much people are already doing. And there's a lot of focus on innovation and what else can we do and what, what else can we add. And, but sometimes it's just about looking at what's already happening and how, come, how can we make it better or how can we make more of it or, or even just how can we sustain it? To finish, I asked Claire to share one tip for those involved in collaborating on projects like this, based on what she's seen so far. It's about not being afraid to try things out and not everything is going to work. And that's okay because you learn a lot from the things that doesn't work and it's as valuable as the thing that works. It's not always about creating something new and shiny. Sometimes the little things are the most important. And to me, is really looking at it as like 
planting seeds and ideas and, and new way of doing things and then keep nurturing it because nature takes its time and but it needs a lot of care and love and sun and and water and space and hair and all of those elements are important so we're really looking at as an ecosystem you know it's it it's called the, the climate emergency not like for a reason and and we need to act fast but we we also need to understand the pace of things i guess what i'm trying to say is that to see change is not immediate if we, even if we were to cut all the emissions today we would not see the impact of it immediately and i think that we living in the world where everything is just too immediate you do something you receive back something and if if we want if we want to reconnect with nature and if we want to really yeah like care for our habitats and and the planet we need to go back this pace as like the speed at which things are happening they're all great ideas but how did it all actually work out in practice to give us insight into the process and to explore the mysterious workings of successful creative collaboration, I went to talk to people on the ground. As much as I would have loved to speak to all six partnerships, I was forced to pick only a couple to include in the podcast. And these were the two which were the closest to the finishing line at the time. First, by magic of Zoom, I travelled to Forfa and Angus to chat to Pauline Lockhart and Carol Malone from Community First Social Enterprise and their creative partners, Kirsty McEwen and Jenny Reed. Over to them for their introductions. My name is Pauline Lockhart. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Community First and we're a social enterprise and we have a social supermarket called Smart. And what we're trying to do there is we're trying to combat um, food insecurity and food waste. And my name is Carol Malone. I'm the co-founder of Community First. And as well as a social supermarket, we have another retail space called Brand, which is climate conscious clothing. And we're trying to tackle fast fashion, but we also support local creatives and small businesses in our community by renting out a space for them. We also have a training kitchen and this week we're about to open our uh, cafe space, our event space, uh, so it's called the Little Green Cafe. My name is Kirsten McKeown, I am a visual artist. My practice involves looking at uh, communities and sort of local history and gathering up stories and objects and all the things around us to tell stories and bring to light tales that uh, maybe go untold otherwise. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jenny Reid. I'm the other visual artist working on the project and I'm, oh, I don't know, multimedia multi-pronged person, um, photographer, working with digital technology and alternative processes, as well as fabric, other textiles and um, craft with spinning and knitting and sewing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, found objects and uh, the stories that they tell us and the unknown stories 
uh, that they they sometimes have hidden in them. I think that's one of the things that persuaded us to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love uh, all the different histories that a place uh, has. Very interested in everyday life and the stories that come out of that as well. What attracted you in the first place to get involved with Cultivate in general and in this collaboration in particular? And I would like to maybe start with the supermarket because community groups, certainly my community group has had very limited experience working with creative practitioners. What made you take that leap of faith? Basically, we were asked. We were, we were approached um, uh, and we were asked, um, and as the only representative in Angus, we were really thrilled to be asked um, because it was certainly not on our radar at all. Um, so when um, Claire approached us and asked us if we'd like to be involved uh, with Cultivate Dundee, we just jumped at the chance. And actually, in all honesty, sort of went head first in, not really knowing what to expect, but the way Carol and I work is we're absolutely up for anything and knew whatever would happen, it would be a, a good collaboration. And for us as well, we have we understand and value the creative process and the importance of creativity and design in any business. So as Pauline says, when we got the opportunity, we were very excited. I think I was the one who said, Kirsty, do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> because yeah. I, I, I was already a customer in the shop. And I can remember, uh, I can actually remember even before the shop opened, reading about the ideas on, I think I followed the Facebook page and got really interested. And it was one of these places that I had earmarked as interesting thing to know about. So it was really nice to have an opportunity to shoehorn myself into something that I already knew was a a good place uh, and had good values. Uh, And I think also my Christmas dinner came from the shop last year. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's one of my. It's one of the nicest ways to go shopping. Uh, is to is to turn up at the supermarket and just see what comes in. Mm-hmm. Because I'd already been a customer, I think I, I had the chance to see how the the shop responded to customers. Because <clears throat> I think back in those days, you had very few staff, and it was usually either Carol or Paul who's behind the counter, uh, and it was just really lovely to see how how much respect everybody was given and how much nonsense that was in the chat you know you know, <laughs> there was always a story happening and and it, there was I think I said at the interview actually I remember overhearing somebody uh, at the counter uh, saying I was you know I was asking my neighbour if he wanted anything because I'm going down to the good shop and that's always stuck in my head mm-hmm. uh, that, that you know you're on the right track and people think you're at the good shop that was my first yeah. draw and then I learned and then yeah the Cultivate project was kind of, it was on my radar. I hadn't really given it much thought in terms of applying. I wasn't sure what I could bring to it just as an individual. But when Jenny approached me to apply as a duo, she really sold it actually on that. I kept hearing this, the good shop, the good shop, and tales of people she'd met and Pauline and Carol and splitting a turnip or something. Was splitting, a or watermelon. splitting a watermelon between another customer. Watermelon. And that kind of sold it. And I think... Jenny and I have known each other for a little while as, as artists of their own practice, but we've never collaborated, especially with each other. So I thought, right, this sounds like a good project. We've got similar interests, uh, similar kind of you know politics and social minded stuff. And I just thought, let's just go for it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, sorry, so far. So far, so good, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. Maybe you could describe the original idea of how you wanted the creative practitioner to sort of help the project out. 
with a supermarket and whether that's sort of evolved and how it's evolved once you started collaborating? I would certainly say it's evolved um, because we certainly didn't come in with any sort of preconceptions of what it might uh, look like. Um, and I think that's probably how Carol and I work best. <laughs> you know, we start with a blank sheet with an idea of, you know, what we might like, but usually it's a blank sheet and it goes from there. Um, and so when we started discussing this with uh, Kirsty and Jenny, you know, we're, we were sort of looking at lots of different possibilities. It was really good to just kind of have the, these conversations yeah, I think because we are very much community-led, that's the way we work. And really, our goal was just to raise awareness. That was all we had in our head, because obviously, at the moment, we've got over a thousand members, but there's more people that can access the shop, and we want people to be aware of Community First and what we're doing. So that was all we had in our head. And of course, partnering up with Jenny and Kirsty, we knew that, you know, that would that would happen one way or another. So uh, that was, again, really exciting for us. I think we came to it as well. I see. I know we came to it with a real fresh pair of eyes, mm-hmm. blank page, I suppose. We didn't want to have any predetermined ideas or notions about what we wanted to do before we'd even kind of set, set foot in the, the building. Uh, we could have spent a lot of time researching Forfar, meeting people, walking up and down, going to all the different community projects in Forfar and just seeing what was out there and getting to know the shop and Pauline and Carol and everyone here um, and letting that inform how we took things forward. Yeah, yeah. Because I, th- I think one of the, the problems with uh, being a double act is we work one day a week. We split the fee between us. So we work one day a week instead of everybody else's two. Mm-hmm. Which has meant that yeah we, we have so many ideas and we you know we could have done so many things and I'm still working on a Stovey T-shirt. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> thing I do. We'll get a Stovey's T-shirt, which is one of one of, one of the plans. Uh, but you know we we had we've you know we've had so many ideas and we kind of pivoted on a few of them because oh, you know circumstances overtook us. Uh, and some of that's some of that's very practical stuff. Like we wanted to do something with a group, but they didn't meet on a Monday, and we were only available all, on a Monday. Or uh, we all sorts of lovely stuff arranged with Angus Young Carers, and then Storm Arwen hit, and we lost one workshop, and then the Omicron came, and we uh, we lost other workshops. So we've had to adapt the work that we were going to do with them, mm-hmm. and and shift that. So. Uh, it was probably just as well we didn't come in with an absolutely ironclad mm-hmm. idea because it would have been doomed mm-hmm. because so many different things have uh, come along just with circumstance and, mm-hmm. and kind of made us have to adapt. But I think that's one of the reasons to work with creative people is the lateral thinking mm-hmm. and not always going, no, 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 we said we were going to do this and we'll do this if it kills us mm-hmm. uh, because actually more practical things have turned up and more interesting things have come along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's that's how we work as well. Um, Carol and I, our background is um, with communities. We worked with our local authority for many, many years. And so, of course, we know that ourselves. And of course, we're living in such difficult times, you know, and people are having to adapt. I mean, we, we had to adapt right at the beginning because we had our all our plans to open SMART. And then when the first lockdown, when COVID hit and the first lockdown happened, you know, we had to completely change our plans because we couldn't open the actual shop. So what we had to do was provide these uh, grocery packs to people and we provided 
almost 36,000 meals to people across Angus in that situation. And that certainly wasn't in our original plan. But what that really did was that that informed a lot of what we do now. So when um, Jenny and Kirsty got involved, it was good that we didn't really have set plans because, you know, it's kind of evolved from there. And Jenny's touched on the fact that we work with young carers and other organisations like that. And we create these um, little cooking packs. And what they do is we put them together with the ingredients and they had to adapt their, their sessions that they did, the Angus Young Carers. So what they did was then they connected with us. We do the, the ready meals, if you like, the ingredients. Um, and then they take them to their participants and then they actually do cooking classes online. So the, the packs that we, we put together, that only originally happened by having to work out of the box. And then Jenny and Kirsty coming along, that was a good connection for them because they were then able to work with these young people. And I think because we knew our time was limited, mm-hmm. it sort of made sense to work with a group that was already established through yeah. the shop and you had links with the workers as well as the young people. And they still talk about the banana bread. Yeah, That was legendary, infamous. the banana bread that came from... <laughs> it's infamous, was it that bad? Not infamous, legendary. famous, famous, legendary. famous. What that's allowed us to do is almost like intergenerational work because... That was actually from my mum, a recipe from my mum that um, she got from her mum that they had to use during the time of the rationing. So they could, certain ingredients they couldn't use, like eggs. So that recipe then has been handed down. And now, actually, um, that recipe has been handed on to a whole bunch of young people. And it just so happens that it tastes absolutely delicious. So you know, there's banana bread, there's scones, things like that, that that young people may not have had the experience to try for themselves. So these packs that that were put together, you know, then they would do their wee cooking classes um, online, making um, their own banana loaf, scones and soup. So these are are skills that they are learning. And of course, Jenny and Kirsty were honing in on that and, and, you know, speaking to them about that. And that was when we could go face to face. So that was really nice. That was nice to see the young people. And I think uh, the link between the cooking skills and food waste, because I think recent Mm -hmm. research came out saying that many, many more people would look at their food waste differently if they had the skills to use, use up what they had in their fridge. And you think there's so many TV shows on that are cookery. Do you think that everybody knows how to cook? But actually... Folk watch the TV shows and don't, don't doesn't necessarily tally up with the, the cooking that they do or, or the money they have or their access to a cooker, even. Yes. Uh, so bringing in those skills uh, helps, hopefully helps another generation to, to learn to use up what they've got. Because everything in our social supermarket is surplus goods. So everything that we have would basically normally go to landfill. And last year, we saved over 42 tonnes of food from going to landfill. Using the surplus stock, if you like, from supermarkets, businesses, um, you know, we get tatties from farms and things like that. Um, So when the kids were making uh, soup, for example, this was stuff that was basically going to get thrown out. Yet perfectly good food, perfectly usable perfectly edible and actually when you made it into a soup or something like that it's absolutely delicious and so that's a great learning curve for well all of us really not just not just the kids you know so that surplus stock uh, that we save 
from going to landfill, we're putting in these packs. And I think Jenny and Kirsty were capturing those things from these kids and, and sharing our story as well, which is so, so important. So I think that's where the, the cookbook comes in. So I'll let Jenny and uh, Kirsty uh-huh. talk about that. So through our work with the young carers groups, we were doing these kind of cookery workshops, all with ingredients, probably 95% of them from the shop. Simple kind of things like pizza and shortbread and biscuits and all these other things that maybe they're not getting taught at school or your granny used to show you, but you know maybe they've just not learned and these kind of simple, simple things. So our uh, plans are to compile that into a kind of cookbook, like a, not zero waste, mm. but like a, mm-hmm. yeah, just a your Angus Young Carers uh, cookbook that will be for sale in the shop and anything going from that goes back into community first. We're also going to be doing a repair cafe in April and that's focusing kind of on the brand side of things uh, down in the, the new cafe uh, just downstairs and we're going to have rep- drop-in repair kind of sessions if you don't know how to do a hem or put a button on, which again, you don't get taught at school anymore, I don't think. And there's so many folk out there who don't know how to put a button on and just try to again build that connection between folk who maybe need a button put on but don't know the cafe exists so they come in, hear about this, come in and get that done and then come into the cafe, they get a brilliant wee scone and they come in again and again and again for the scones and the buttons and the zips and yeah. I suppose whatever. that one of the things yeah. that we have very, very rarely mentioned is actually is climate change or climate justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we we kind of took a, a viewpoint at the beginning that if we were going to be uh, engaging with the community, mm-hmm. one of the things unfortunately that turns people off, if, you, if we said, you know, come along to a meeting and engage with climate justice, the people who are already interested will come along yeah. and nobody else. But if we say, you know, we did kind of uh, events to mm-hmm. gather information and to raise awareness. So we had an apple day when, I think, and thank goodness we had enough apples. And I managed to strong arm a friend who has an apple press. Mm-hmm. And he came along and set this thing up and talked to people about how to press apples. And we had juice from that. And then we, we asked people questions about the food that they liked and what did they know about food waste. Mm-hmm. And although everything we do has the climate justice thing kind of right mm-hmm. through it, very very rarely explicit and it's it's more just to tie people in with do you know this place exists and once they do you know once we get them here it's all this is why this is why the shop's here and also one of the other things I think that was really clear from the beginning talking to Carol and Pauline was that thing about who gets to come Mm -hmm. and some people feel if they have them if they have enough money some people feel bad coming in and buying stuff because they feel that that's taking stuff out of the mouths of poor people and folk who are actually experiencing food poverty might feel a stigma coming in because this is a shop for people who are poor, whereas actually we need everybody to come in because the more people that spend the money, the more profits go back into supporting the business and the better the business becomes. So there's all sorts of strands of awareness raising that we, we kind of subtly weave mm-hmm. in and probably don't make a big song and dance about it because we don't want that to be... Mm-hmm. I, a kind of a big worthy message it's just the shop's amazing come and you know come and experience it but guess what once you're here and you're buying stuff you're you're making a positive contribution to climate justice mm-hmm. uh, and quite often people who come to the shop because they have a financial reason they're the kind of people who get stigmatized for not helping uh, or people assume that they don't they're too busy or they're too skint to get involved with climate justice but actually by the, just by the fact that they're using the shop they're making a positive difference mm-hmm. Do you want a job, Jenny? I know, I was going to say that. That's my sermon. <laughs> yeah. 
for us, it's really exciting to hear when people tell our story. And obviously, we've been, Jenny, as a, as a customer, a supporter, a follower, and obviously a colleague now. It's great to hear that our message is totally ingrained. And that happens often in the shop. So people will bring along their friend or their auntie or you know, their brother, and you hear them going around the shop explaining what we're about. And for us, it means that ourselves initially and now our, our team are relaying that message succinctly, precisely and perfectly. And it just brings joy to our heart yeah. that what we're doing, the message is getting out. So that really makes us happy. Absolutely, yeah. And the, and the thing is, what we found is, you know, there, there's this perception that um, being environmental friendly is a middle class type privilege, if you like, because obviously, you know, there's costs involved. But actually what we're doing is we're trying to level that playing field. And by being able to offer this service to people, what we always say is, you know, thank you very much. You know, you've saved this amount of uh, food today or, you know, we're trying to share the amount of food waste that's been saved from going to landfill. And so, you know, you might have somebody that's coming in who is struggling financially. So that's a benefit because they're able to get the food at such a reduced cost. But then to see the look in their face when they realise that actually they're doing good stuff in their planet for their planet as well is amazing. And I think that's part of the whole message that Jenny and Kirsten have been sort of sharing. And I think that'll be part of the message and the legacy of the work that they're doing, because um, with the cookbook and even just with the, the sessions and, and the interactions with some of the people uh, that they've been working with, you know, that, that's a legacy that'll go on and on and on. And people share that information and share those skills. It's been six months you've been working together. And um, is there maybe a particularly challenging or, or special inspiring moments that um, you'd like to share with each other? I was just thinking about frozen chicken wrestling. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a food, yeah. food fail. I think uh, just time. Like time is always a challenge for everybody, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think only having one day where we can both get together and really push this forward has been, yeah, that's been the biggest challenge for me. And having to prioritise it. So, yeah, having to let some of the, the favourites go because they're they're not achievable in the time frame, but still keeping them in there and, and actually sharing them mm-hmm. with Carol and Pauline and, and Lucy who are so keen mm-hmm. to keep things going and yeah. so that hopefully maybe our big idea can keep keep going yeah, and there's a yeah, we see the thought yeah. that can be started off. Because um, I think we should, in the, in the kind of tie up at the end, mm-hmm. we should have kind of a, a list of the ones that got away. Yeah. And, you know, the blue plaque for Margaret Bridey, <laughs> we still still haven't managed that. But that could that could still happen. But there's yeah, when we could if we'd had unlimited time and unlimited finance, we could you know you could do amazing th- you know amazing things. But I guess one of the positive things about this is showing that it works and this yeah. idea that community groups don't understand what what an artist does and the artists are too highfalutin to want to work with the community. So you know that's that's nonsense. If you're a socially engaged artist in your area, particularly, I you know I, I I've always been struck. By, I'm going to be very vague and quote something that happened 100 years ago to me. Uh, <laughs> I was I remember being at a, at a Amnesty International thing and there was this really amazing 
guy from Brazil who was a union worker and he was talking about all these wonderful stands that they were taking in Brazil against Coca-Cola and he was such an amazing, inspiring guy. And at the end of the question and answer session, somebody said to him, you know, you're amazing, you're so inspiring, how can we help you? And he said, find out what's wrong in your own area and do something about it. And so there's, it's not always the, the most glamorous work to be working in the place that you know well, but I, I think it's really important. I don't want to work in some unknown place. I don't really want to make a difference in my area. I think that's a really important point to make. We both were very wary of being parachuted in as these artists fix for for in six months. Uh, <laughs> one day a week. One day a week. But you do see it. You see these commissions mm. and you get parachuted into a community to do all this work and there's either not the funding or the time or the ability mm. to continue these things like in a legacy. Yeah. And then you just disappear after six months. And we're both quite keen to avoid that. And yeah. hopefully we manage it. And, and just not coming yeah. in with a with daft idea of what the community is as well. Because yeah. you, could, you could bring somebody in from, from further away mm-hmm. and they, they'll have all sorts of ideas that are not accurate. I mean, I remember one, one of the first things I forced you to do was walk around. We just went around Forfar and I reminisced because yeah. I was born here. Yeah, we went around some of the estates in Forfar. Yeah, our life story. <laughs> <laughs> but it was this yeah but, yeah but it's that kind of thing of it, this is this is where I go on the bus yes yeah. this, this is you know yeah, yeah and just that thing about this is normal life so don't mm-hmm. don't disrespect it uh, mm-hmm. not that you you would but you know don't bring in an artist who just hasn't got a clue yeah. about the the, the the temperature of the area what this place is like uh, uh, mm-hmm. what what makes people angry what what makes mm-hmm. people you know laugh mm-hmm. it's uh, I think that's really important to not just turn up and Mm-hmm. think you've got the answers. I think for us, one of the highlights has been just working collaboratively and having two more members of the team because that's the way we see Jenny and Kirsty. It's not it's not been someone coming in, it's just been someone joining the team and having these extra people working on our vision. So that's been really a huge positive for us what's been achieved in a very relatively short space of time is quite phenomenal. And as far as that perception of artists, I mean, um, if you go to any exhibition, an art school or anywhere, you know that creatives are very much socially conscious. So having that, these skills, this knowledge and this input in our business, our social enterprise is just been phenomenal for us and then obviously the the legacy that's left is really going to be beneficial for us as I say having a cookbook being able to deliver sewing classes um, these sort of things will obviously have been introduced by Jenny and Kirsty, but we will be carrying that on fantastic it sounds like such a positive um, collaboration can you share one thing that you learned from each other Actually, for me, I think um, Jenny touched on it. I mean, art to me has always been this sort of other realm. Um, you know, I've, I've just always put art in that box where an artist's in that box where it's like a different person with a different outlook. But in reality, it isn't that. It, it is reachable. It is You can touch that art. You can connect with the work that artists are doing. So that's been quite enlightening for me personally. I think for me, it's about how it's removed any restrictions we may have 
on collaborations because for us it's about this has been a really positive experience so you know any collaborations it's keeping an open mind because this has been such a fantastic experience so anytime anyone knocks on our door or sends us an email it's about having that open mind to say well this could work uh, look what's happened in the past yeah, I don't know, because I was just thinking if I've learned anything, it's that I'd learned I'd like to hang around for much, much more, mm. much longer than, than six months, because there's there's always so much going on and mm-hmm. so much potential. And I, and I can remember right from the start, Pauline saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not creative. I was like, what? Of course you're creative. Look what you've created. And yeah. it's like this, the whole place. It's like what you've built, yeah. Ah. Yeah, I think for me, it's been... It's been important to see how much good is being done around Forfer and in, in here and in Forfer as a whole. I kind of always know that there's people doing good, but I think just coming in here on a Monday just to be reminded when you've had a weekend watching the news and feeling not brilliant about the world uh, and just, yeah, just learning a bit more about Forfer and also how many people care and are putting time and effort and love into caring for each other. Um, Forms my, oh, my wee cockles. Actually, that's really interesting because I remember Kat, no, it was Pauline, uh, had a similar experience with one of the Kickstarter employees who was just utterly taken aback by the fact that, that, that this enterprise exists not for a profit, this is for a good thing. That's its underlying core value mm-hmm. is just do, do good stuff. But I've also learned that if you get a box of chocolates that was meant for Christmas and you cut out a heart shape over the Christmas decorations. You can reuse them for Valentine's Day. Great tip. Brilliant tip. It was such a delight to interview this bunch. We had so many giggles, which, to be honest, made it for a bit of a challenge in editing. But I guess a great sign of a healthy working partnership as well. Perhaps we should add sense of joy and humour to the list of the creative collaboration tips. Um, But when I asked Pauline and Carol, they thought open-mindedness was the key on their part. And Kirsty and Jenny thought that getting fully embedded in the community helped them to work really well together. So that's their tips for anybody out there. Now, Creative Dundee website has all the background and project stories with more to come. I really recommend you have a look because there's been so much diversity and wonderful work across this project and and they're continuing to do more. Cultivate are also involved in the showcases of the Climate Beacon Tayside in May and June. So if you're around, you can catch these lovely folk live as well. Check the show notes uh, for all the relevant links. This is all for today, but Look out for the next episode in a couple of weeks where we continue the creative collaboration conversations. In the meantime, take care of each other out there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new Storyteller Collective. You can drop our Story Weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. 
To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter. Thank you.